Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, March 25th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and then present an interview with the filmmakers behind everything, everywhere, all at once. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Jacob, uh, the James Bond equivalent of the bat signal has lit up the sky, and that means that you're (laughs) the only person that I want to talk to about this because I know that you're a diehard Bond fan. Amazon has officially acquired MGM in a deal for $8.5 billion. And now a James Bond TV show is going to be coming to Amazon, but it is not the James Bond TV show that you're probably thinking that it is. It's actually a reality competition show. Um, I'll get into some of the details about this uh, in a minute, but Jacob, before we really like dive in here, I just want to say that I went back and listened to a previous episode that we did about this on August 19th of last year. And you gave me your pitch for what a James Bond TV universe would be. And you mentioned, I don't know if you recall the details of this, but you were uh, mentioning basically the way to do this would be to, to remove James Bond, the character from the TV stuff and like let other characters have their time in the, in the spotlight on TV and keep Bond in the movies to sort of retain that sort of special flavor of what happens with the bond movies uh by removing bond from the the tv universe a reality competition show which takes bond out is not exactly what i had in mind i'm guessing it probably wasn't (laughs) what you had in mind either but what do you think about this i'm thinking of the opening uh act one scenes of from rush with love where we see the island where spectered evil organization trains its henchmen and it's full of obstacle courses and labyrinths and kill or be killed games and flamethrowers and that's what I want. I want to see a reality show where, where people are put through the paces of being a specter agent and they die if they lose. <laughs> um, okay, not really. Uh, but look, what this really is, this is very clearly Amazon wants their own Amazing Race and they're using the James Bond name to make it happen. And look, my mom watches Amazing Race. She's watched it every year, hasn't missed an episode for well over a decade. So there absolutely is an audience for this. I will say Amazon also has the world's toughest race. Uh, it's from a lot of the same producers who made Amazing Race, but it's an actual documentary series following the genuine hardcore um 
like hiking competitions, like hiking, biking, rowing competitions. We mm-hmm. like generally go through the mud and the ocean and the jungle and teams drop out by the hundreds <laughs> because they just can't take it. <laughs> so uh, this is clearly, you know, there, there's a precedent for this kind of television, whether it's, you know, something as cheesy and approachable as Amazing Race or something as grueling as the world's toughest race, uh, both of which have their places for, you know, people who, who enjoy that kind of reality TV. And I, Personally, you know, I have no issue with it. I haven't watched Amazing Race in a long time, but I, I stand by World's Toughest Race as being really compelling. So I'm not going to write this off immediately. I will say it's definitely not what I expected Amazon to do. Maybe it's the first James Bond announcement after they acquired MGM. I mm-hmm. uh, hope they have more exciting, interesting things planned with it. But uh, this sounds like a James Bond thing my mom would watch. And, you know, if my mom has stuff to watch. You know, she's, she's happily retired. Give, give my mom stuff to watch, Amazon. <laughs> so producers Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, who have been the shepherds of the Bond franchise for a long time now, and, and it's sort of been in that family since the very beginning, they are going to be producing this uh, in association with MGM Television. So this is this is sort of like a, you know, this is not necessarily like Amazon uh, buying MGM and then immediately like uh, yanking this franchise away from Broccoli and Wilson. They're very much involved here still. This feels to me 100% like a compromise of like, okay, we understand that part of the reason that you purchased uh, MGM was for the Bond name. We'll give you a sliver of the Bond name, but only a tiny sliver on our sort of uh, on our terms, you know. so the, the basic premise of the show is that uh, contestants will be competing in a global adventure to win a, basically a million dollars. It's going to be filmed in many of the historic locations featured throughout the Bond films. Uh, there will be a test of intelligence and endurance. And uh, so that includes like physical obstacles. And then also there are going to be two-person teams where they have to answer questions hidden in different locations around the world in order to advance to the next challenge. So yeah, as you laid out, there's definitely a precedent for this. Um do you think that we're only going to get things like this sort of on this level for uh, for the Bond, uh, I guess, expansion in- into television? Or do you think that now that this acquisition of MGM has actually gone through at Amazon, this is only step one in a, a much larger plan for an, acquis- or for an expansion of that franchise? I think nothing changes until the Broccoli's die. Not to be harsh or dark about it but Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson who have been shepherding Bond since the 90s since Albert R. Broccoli uh, passed away uh, they're very protective of it they're, they're, they're like notoriously protective of it and they as long as their Eon Productions has a stake in Bond and MGM does not control Bond alone Eon has the majority say uh, as long as they're around and calling the shots I don't think we get, you know, the adventures of James Bond on Amazon. I don't think we get, you know, a Reacher style, you know, James Bond mm-hmm. TV series. I don't think it happens. So I, but I, I, but I, I do think we will see stuff like this for sure. I, I think that this is a license to print money. Let's just be honest here. This kind of, this kind of TV production, this kind of reality show, uh, in this sort of style, uh, reality competition shows just line the pockets of people who make them. They're mm-hmm. cheap. They're easy. People watch them. They're fun, uh, and the audiences who don't read slash film, you, you, slash film readers' parents absolutely will watch this show by by the by the many 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 people. So yeah, I, I think this is it for now. I, I do hope that the Bond flavor is something they really like, work into, it, as opposed to being a um, just like you know something in the title. Like when I say the rivers of Bond locations, I want like stuff that like 
feels like very tied into Bond stuff. Like there's a there was a Fox TV show, a, a long defunct Fox TV show that was mostly staged called Murder in Small Town X that I've never forgotten because the idea is that all the contestants on this reality show are in a town full of actors, actors playing like the, the chief of police, the local newspaper reporter, um, and and they're all suspects in a murder case, and they're all trying to solve the murder. And each at the end of each episode, um, one of the one of the uh, cast members is eliminated because uh, they're killed off, quote unquote, killed off by the killer. And I always thought that it was a really bad show, but I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of it, the idea of what they would be able to do with a modern TV show and, and like mm-hmm. and like a modern take on that. And I would love the idea if all these contestants are literally plunged into a spy game where like all the other people are playing characters and they have to actually like acts of espionage and, and improvisation. And it's not just climb this rope or jump off this thing. I would love right. if they, if they actually really play into the flavor of it and force the, all these ordinary people to actually try to do bond stuff in, in a safe way, of course, uh, and see what happens. But I don't know. I really hope that it's more than just, you know, 007 branded on top of some bunch of people bungee jumping. Yeah. So my last question here for you, Jacob, is, um, you know, it sounds like you, you don't have any problems with the format that this is taking. But what do you think that this does to the brand of Bond? Because that's a big consideration here, too. Like the idea of a now Bond is associated with a reality TV show. And again, like not necessarily looking down all the way my nose at that, because it certainly has its place. But like, uh, for a franchise that is as storied and as historic as this one, for the first thing that it does in the TV space really in a long time, uh, anyway, to sort of slap its name on to be a reality competition show, um, that's that's saying something. It's kind of reminds me of like the the Harry Potter game show or whatever that's on uh, HBO Max right now with like Helen Mirren hosting it. And, you know, there, there are um, precedents in other franchises for offshoots and sort of spinoffs in of this ilk. But um, but as we talked about on the, the last time when we were talking about Bond, Bond is special. And uh, what, so what do you think about what it maybe does or doesn't do to the brand overall? It cheapens it a little bit. Let's be honest. It, it really does. But this is a rum torn because I do think the Bond name is prestigious. It carries carries a lot of weight. And since they make, you know, one movie every couple of years, you know, sometimes as long as five or six years, it... Uh, it really is that special momentous thing. It's like Mar. Like I love Marvel movies, but like in one or two a year means like you're always getting them. Marvel. Marvel is popular, but it's not special. James Bond is special. Um, mm-hmm. But, and this is my big but, how many Bond movies have literally paused so James Bond could drink a certain brand of beer or alcohol on camera? <laughs> how many Bond movies have showcased that latest Razor or that latest watch or the latest BMW automobile? Bond has been crass for decades with this stuff, so I could act high and mighty. But let's not pretend that Bond has been selling out since the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hundred percent true. And not only like in the uh, the actual like on screen elements of like the um, you know uh, product placement and things like that, but also just like the the entire impetus it seems like for making a Bond movie every few years is I think as you've mentioned on this podcast before to try to capture whatever the trend is in action cinema at the time. Um, so you know they've been very very transparent about that throughout this entire franchise's history so um i guess the fact that it's uh, shifting over to um a, a super cheap way to make potentially a lot of money or bring in a lot of uh, eyeballs or whatever is uh, should not be like super surprising to us but uh, i'm very curious to see what happens in the wake of this acquisition and like exactly how far 
broccoli and Wilson are willing to go, um, you know, while they still sort of have the, the uh, franchise in their iron fist. So we'll see. But um, Jacob, I think that's going to bring us really to the end of the, the interview section here, or I'm sorry, the, the news section here. And I just wanted to set up really quickly. Uh, HC did an interview with uh, the Daniels, the filmmakers behind everything everywhere all at once, which I know you love Jacob. I, I'm guessing you've still only seen it one time or have you gone back yet or um, it, it opens in Austin officially next week, so I plan to see it again the, the day it's back here. Yeah, okay, yeah. My It opens in Northeast Florida, where I am, on April 8th, so uh, I'm excited to see it. I've just been like itching after hearing how well-received it's been in the, the Slash Film Slack, especially from you and HT. So, um, man, I can't wait for this one. But HT uh, had a, a nice conversation with the guys behind this movie who also directed Swiss Army Man, and we had a, a great feature on SlashFilm.com yesterday the, highlighting a lot of their insane music video work, including the video for turn down for what which is like truly i mean one of the most outrageous music videos that i can that i can really imagine um so here is ht's conversation with the daniels hi thanks for speaking with me today how are you guys we're doing good, good. A, little, a little tired but yeah. just so excited excited to talk to you like we uh we're we, slash film readers yeah. are you really that's so cool yeah, oh my I, gosh thank you i'm a big fan of your guys' work obviously uh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I remember in college when I, I, I this was the first podcast or the like the first film podcast that I got into was the Slash Film Podcast, and I would uh, as I was interning, I used to intern at DreamWorks Animation. Sometimes I'd be doing some mindless work, so I just your podcast was always on while I was uh, working there. So mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that's yeah. so cool. Well, thank you for speaking with me and telling me about that because yeah, Slash Film, awesome place. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about everything, everywhere, all at once, and how do we start about it? Um, I couldn't think of anyone better to lead this movie than Michelle Yeoh, who is so malleable and magnetic in it, but she's, you know, a global superstar. Mm-hmm. How did you get Michelle Yeoh for your absurd art house sci-fi flick? I don't know. It's, We're lucky. I think one of the things we started to do with uh, the universe is we start, we'd start to write things just for ourselves and be like, what if I dare the universe to let us make this, you know? And even on the small scale of our music videos, we'd be like, I dare the, the, uh, the universe to let us make this music video, like turn down for what I dare them. I dare the label to say yes to this. And so like, we didn't know Michelle Yeoh. We didn't know if she was the kind of person who would respond to something like this, because like, you know, most of us, we've seen her our whole lives and she's this very beautiful, regal, uh, person who, um, you know, you would never think that she would say yes to some of this stuff, but we wrote it almost like a prayer to the universe being like, I dare you to give us Michelle Yeoh, or I dare you uh, for, for the, the stars to align. Um, and they did. She read the script and we met up with her and she was just so lovely and so not what I think most of us perceive her as. You know, um, she, she is, yes, she is an icon, um, but also she's just so grounded and mm-hmm. the moment we sat down with her she felt like uh, like an auntie who was just like w- you know wanted to feed us wanted to make sure we we're okay also wanted to make sure our heads were okay yeah like, making fun of us yeah exactly <laughs> um, I so- think, yeah i think she liked the script a lot but we liked each other a lot you know and and that was like a just sitting down and chatting it was like oh man this is gonna be fun yeah <laughs> she's weirder than people realize yeah. you know yeah people always talk yeah about- i mean obviously this doing yeah. this movie, and she's like, she's got a weird bone in her. Oh, <laughs> and she killed it every yeah. day. She, like, we knew she could do it, but we thought some of it would be harder than others. Some of the pieces would be harder than others, but she surprised us every day. And I don't know, it was uh, the the people always talk about on screen chemistry as being important, but I think for us, like 
that off-screen chemistry was what made this whole thing like grow and because we, we just all had so much trust in each other um mm-hmm. and i don't think you could have made the movie like this without that trust yeah and um i know that there was there's some elements of the script that michelle yo kind of fucked at like the uh the hot dog fingers scene um and you have a great cast for this movie in addition to michelle yo um were there any compromises or sort of stop gaps that you had to make to uh, bring any of the, the other cast on board for like your original script? Um, not really. Uh, I think, and, and even like Michelle, like she later, she told us that we, when we first met up, she was going to ask us to get rid of the hot dogs. Uh, and I think we maybe just bulldozed her with confidence or something. Uh, Cause we never got around to talking about it. Um, and by the time we were filming, uh, Jamie did her big hot dog scene first because, uh, like, it, it gets pretty weird and puts up and mustard involved. And so then, like, once Jamie did it, Michelle was like, well, I guess... Uh, I think literally Jamie did it, and then, she, like, she turned to Michelle and went, your turn. <laughs> and the whole crew, like, burst into laughter. Um, but that's sort of a metaphor of... Um, the whole shoot that like once Michelle did something, every other crew member would be like, well, Michelle, yo agreed to do that. Like I'm what, a, what else can I yeah, do? Yeah. I'm a diva. If I say no to anything and like, Oh my God, Jamie Lee Curtis just did that. Like, look at her outfit. Like I'm a diva. If I say no. Yeah. Um, there's, there's two parts to the answer. It's the, that, that kind of communal energy that, that kind of uh, gave everyone confidence, but also gave each other this feeling of like competitive one upmanship, um, but then on the other hand, we've spent the last 10 years making really strange tonal experiments in, you know, our short films, our music videos, and of course our first movie, Swiss Army Man, and like, uh, we've been we're really lucky that we just slowly built our budgets up a little bit every time and just got our resources up just a little bit. And so now we're at a point where, you know, people look at this movie and they go like, how is it made? But like, I know how it was made. It, you know, we took decades of slowly building trust. And now when people read our script, they have a whole uh, reel of things to look through to, mm-hmm. to figure out whether or not it's going to work. And like, you know, to Michelle's credit, she saw Swiss Army Man and was like, I think we can make this work. Mm. And she, she jumped in. So like on the one hand, it's crazy that it exists. But on the other hand, um, there's a lot of uh, history, I guess, of, um, mm. of our past work to look at. There, there is one actor who didn't want to do what was in the script. Uh, which was James Hong. Um, oh, yeah. uh, also a legend. He did, also a legend. Yeah, he did not like how much his character was supposed to sleep in the movie. <laughs> so, he would always be like, no, no, my character would be awake. And so, like, and he'd, he'd have suggestions and he always, he just, like, always wanted to be having fun and contributing, um, even though originally in the script, the grandpa just keeps falling asleep during important st- stuff. Uh, but that is not James's vibe. He was yeah. like, he, was he like, fought no. back, and, and I'm glad he did. It was good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, uh, coming out of Swiss Army Man and making an explosive mark as you did with this film, uh, I know you would end up turning down Loki, which is also a, a multiversal uh, adventure to make this film. But how did the idea for Everything Everywhere All at Once come about, and kind of separately end up also being a multiversal thing apart from Loki? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, I think in some ways, you know, people asked us when we made Swiss Army Man, like, ooh, are you going to do your big leap into Hollywood? Uh, and it made our brains think, like, what would our movie be uh, if we were going to do a big Hollywood movie? And then this is what we wrote. <laughs> um, 
Because uh, yeah, this is like we were talking about. Like, oh, this is probably the closest thing we'll get to doing a blockbuster. Yeah, like this is our version of a Marvel movie, which yeah. is like a lot, very stupid and very existential and philosophical, and and also like personal, personal, yeah. and yeah. Um, we, uh, you know, I'm kind of intimidated by IP. You know, like even if it's an article getting adapted, I'm like, what about the real humans? that this happened to like that's so much pressure uh so we've we've always just naturally gravitated towards you know writing our own stuff um and so then uh we just got lucky that we picked a multi like it was an accident it was just in the cultural conversation and ethos i guess that but back in 2016 we just started writing a uh asian american multiverse movie and then now there's this explosion of uh, multiverse films and this explosion of uh, Asian American stories. Right. It goes back to me like saying all, all of our scripts are like prayers. We're like, maybe someone will let us make this. And mm-hmm. like slowly over the years, like the world kind of shifted to a place where our movie is like so obvious. But I remember the first time we met with Michelle, it was two weeks before Crazy Rich Asians had come out. And so no one knew if it was going to do well. And like, for better or for worse, like so much was riding on that box office for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we kept were, telling our producers, yeah. like, let's book her right now, please. Yeah, and they were yeah. like, maybe we wait two weeks. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. But so she said she's like, it's very, um, very prescient of you guys. Like the fact that you are very brave of you guys. Like we wrote this wild Asian American movie before even Crazy Rich Asians, which is like a super bankable version of an Asian American movie, mm-hmm. um, had had the proven itself. So um, this was just stuff that we had been chewing on for a long time. If you look at our past work, um, we've we've dealt with multiverse stuff. You know, ten years ago we were doing Possibilia, which was like an interactive um, weird tech art piece and then about about like the the, the decisions uh, you know a, a couple who are breaking up um mm-hmm. have um it's like a choose your own adventure that kind of ex- implodes um and then interesting ball is is kind of an exploration of infinity um so it, it's always been in our mind and we realized like oh this this the multiverse could be a really cool place for our ideas to thrive um, mm-hmm. and it just so happened to time out this way you know so uh, everything everywhere all at once has so many ideas floating around uh, around and sometimes crashing into each other. Uh, I think I everyone take away a different message from it. So I took away a message about generational trauma, which I feel like is becoming quite popular in a lot of Asian-led films nowadays. And I've seen a lot of people read it as a metaphor for clinical depression, too. Uh, but if the two of you could summarize what it means specifically to you, how would you? Mm. Um. Mm-hmm. We, in some ways, like... We probably have two different answers, so we uh, go first. <laughs> well, I'll give... Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we have, we, we have, like, a dangerously large number of them, which is why it's called that. Because <laughs> um, it was, like, a fun opportunity to explore a lot, you know? Um, to let our distractible brains barf out into a, a piece of art. Um, but... Uh, on that topic, uh, we've talked a lot about what it's like to have grown up with the internet um, and how that exacerbated the typical generational divide and and what it feels like for everyone, no matter how old you are, to live right now with the internet. Um, and so th- that's one of the key metaphors, you know, was just like we wanted 
the uh, maximalism of the movie to uh, connect with like what it's like to scroll through an infinite amount of stuff, which is something we're all doing too much. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So it yeah, it's about finding each other in a very noisy world because I mm-hmm. think. Um, right now everyone's struggling to figure out how to do that and I think our stories are struggling to keep up with it you know the the um, life cycle of a movie is years the life cycle of 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 the internet is like milliseconds and so um, our stories are kind of failing to keep up and this movie is an attempt to tackle all of that um, in a way that combines the smallest things and the biggest things you know like what is what is the most personal thing you know you talk about the you know mental health and how small it feels sometimes compared to everything else but then um i, I realized that our movie you know you know alok that, that great the great uh, queer social media influencer um wrote a post about our film and they said that uh this film it's a film in which mental health decides you know the fate of all of existence and i was like yeah that's really beautiful and um I think that's how everyone is feeling right now. It's like everyone's trying to to reconcile their own individual mental health and their own individual story with that of the world um, and the universe and every universe, you know? Um, so long answers. <laughs> no, it's a perfect answer. And I appreciate how you use the millennial language of the internet to speak about the everythingness of the internet too like things that we that we recognize and understand in pop culture like the stylistic changes between universes the Wong Kar Wai atmosphere of the movie star universe the Stephen Chow Looney Tunes antics of the martial arts and just the rapidity of the editing and the flow and style I feel like is you know speaking from person to person through the noise Yeah, like one thing we that became a touchstone in the writing process was like um, the idea that we all we're all the star of our own movies, and we all have a different idea of what genre we're in, um, and to kind of like lean into that, um, that like two characters in the same scene think they're in different genres of film. Um, and so then and that's like, what that's what living today is like that's what talking on twitter is like it's mm-hmm. just like oh you're in a different it's like i am the righteous warrior of my movie about you know tradition it's like right. no, no no i'm the the badass of my movie that's about right. funny jokes <laughs> <laughs> all right that's all the time i have left i could talk to you guys about this for another hour well not even another hour because i have only had 10 minutes but Thank you so much for speaking with me today, and uh, I'll let everyone at Slashville know that uh, they, uh, I got to speak to some fans of the site. And yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for today, Slash Film Daily. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave uh, your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.